here for episode 182 and we've got a couple of special guests uh, following our last podcast on the topic of AI. We've got uh, Daniel Pace with us who is one of the founders and executive director of Provenio AI. Uh, Provenio AI uses contextual AI to provide solutions for speed, accuracy and efficiency of data that flows behind the physical supply chain value chain. Uh, we're also joined by the Chief Technical Officer, Shri Bhargav. Uh, so we continue the topic of AI, Tony, and uh, what a podcast this should be. It should be. And I think, um, you know, last last podcast, Vaughan, we were talking about the legalities of AI and copyright and, you know, infringements and a whole range of things. But now we're actually talking to the people who build it. Uh, so from the having listening to Mark from legal, now talking to the people who build it and actually implement AI into companies in respect to Provenio, uh, predominantly companies that have a logistic logistics arm uh, to their business. So Dan and Sri, welcome to the Kofkin Bond podcast. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Vaughan. Yeah, so it's... Um, now, for, for full disclosure, they are clients of ours, and we're very proud to have them as clients. And we have got them in touch with our own uh, technology providers to be able, because I've been harping on them, when can we actually automate a lot of this stuff? So so they, they, Dan has had some great chats with Kevin. Kevin, I know you are our listener, so I have high expectations of you. <laughs> so to actually do this. I think, guys, and I'll touch on, I touched it last time, I um, I love history and especially around the in, in the Industrial Revolution. So yep. in, um, you talk about disruption 1.0, I suppose, when we're talking about the Industrial Revolution. And if we talk about, say, Henry Ford and Ford in general, uh, where we look at the uh, assembly line and the assembly line, they were saying, you know, because traditionally prior to that, I think it was around, took around about three months to build one car. Yep. And the assembly line, of course, was mass, mass production of the T model Ford, which became affordable for the average American consumer. So rather than a car being a luxury, a car became an everyday use. Now, of course, that put the horse and buggy. Uh, out of business, but realistically, they could have ended up becoming the New York taxi drivers, which uh, you know we know them all around the world now. Not quite as good as the London cabbie, of course, but it's um. But the the basis of that is actually employed far more people as a result. Yep. Uh, logistically, things became far better as a result as well. People got around far quicker. Goods and services started getting around far quicker locally. So whereas you know you still use the the rail. Uh, network back then uh, for larger goods going from one side of the country to the other, but locally goods all got around far quicker as well, even things like, for example, milk runs. Um, and realistically, the only person I could see that became unemployed or lost their job during that period was the people who had to clean up the horse manure in the streets, you know, following the, because apparently it was rather stinky times back then. <laughs> but the basis of AI, people are scared of it. Now, we've embraced it in our firm as much as we can. Yep. You know, I have my virtually my well, my real limited knowledge as born will attest to when it comes to technology. But I see the actual some benefits of, Tony, some of, of it. Tony's work has become suspiciously good recently. I'll, I'll say that much, Dan and Shree. Same here, actually, because um, one, one of my partners sent an email out recently and, and everyone was quick to say, no, that, that's not you. Who's, who's written that for you? And like the hardy was there. Our good old friend chat gpt yeah, yeah dan when i first used chat gpt i did ask it to write a love poem to my wife and i put in i said 
my wonderful wife here, uh, her seven top qualities and write a beautiful, loving poem. And it did. And I read it and I thought, wow, that is amazing. And I sent it to her and we'll go to the movies that night. And I said, have you checked your emails? And she said, no. And I said, just quickly read your emails. I sent you an email. She goes, okay. So we're sitting in the movie. She, read, she goes, that is so beautiful. And I said, thank you. She goes, I know you didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really beautiful. But, yeah, but yeah. I appreciate the fact that, you know, and I was telling you, she goes, I heard you and Jamie actually going into chat GPT because in the office next door. But but that's an example. I got a couple of brownie points that night and she that's didn't it. and she didn't bug me for eating the chop top. That's, it's the, thought, <laughs> the, the thought that counts, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly absolutely. right. I, I don't have the talent to do it, but uh, chat GPT did it for me. Mm. Yeah. So, so. When we talk about businesses, though, we are talking about um, making things more efficient. And yep. we're going to talk about logistics, which is – now, when I say logistics, it's not just the large Lin Fox or Toll Holdings that we're talking about. It's a lot of companies are both receivers and providers of goods through logistics. And Sri, we're talking about during lockdown, the amount of packages that turned up on my doorstep, you know, so which is has to be delivered by someone, you know, where, where from wherever you've ordered or whether I ordered from you know, David Jones or whether I ordered from a local book supplier, you know, yep. but it still had to be turned up on the door. So – do you want to talk about the the efficiencies and some of the things that AI actually provides these companies? So if we talk about it from the, the company perspective and then might talk about it from the technical perspective of bringing that in, is would that be a good start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, I think COVID is probably one of the really the accelerators to, for us to, to focus on this because um, obviously everyone's in lockdown couldn't get out of the house so more and more people started um, worse in melbourne and up here in sydney then yeah, absolutely <laughs> uh, but it, it was really a, a bit of an eye-opener i think to everyone in, in terms of how delicate the the supply chain ecosystem really is um you know a lot of people hadn't really faced uh, pandemics in, in this lifetime so it, it really demonstrated that um the real dependency on on the movement of of freight um for, for consumers um, and I think it also showed that uh, a lot of people uh, really are more, um, I guess, open to ordering things online now. So there's been a massive um, increase in demand for the movement of logistics and, and, and freight um, just from, from that experience. But what we also noticed during that period is that there was a massive uh, strain on the industry and also there just wasn't enough people available um, to actually help process that. So where where we we started looking with this this technology we, we kind of pointed to the fact that okay well how can this help in the, the back office um, within freight logistics um, and we we really identified there's a lot still a lot of um, manual intervention a lot of paper uh, a lot of time consuming processes that sit behind the movement of freight and logistics and supply chain um, and that's where there's a lot of margin erosion as well for these businesses so we looked at how can we make it more efficient um, help people be more productive and actually help them do more tasks that are more valuable to to those businesses and, and that's really where we focus in 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 3 3pl and 4pl can you explain 3pl and 4pl to people yeah so um the likes of you mentioned Linfox, toll um so businesses that that um provide those freight logistics services to to customers and that can be from um inbound freight so coming from um ships there yeah, moving that to um managed um uh, centers where that they'll actually distribute all of the or store and distribute um and then kind of farm on last mile as well so lynn fox is that example who deliver for woolworths 
so they do a lot of the logistics work for Woolies. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So they'll they'll manage their um, distribution centres, um, and then the movement of those um, goods from those centres to the regional stores. Mm. From a technology uh, aspect, Sri, one of the one of the major concerns is this actually, you know, AI taking away jobs from people. Mm. Um, but it's not necessarily the case, is it? No, it's absolutely not. So we've always uh, I've been an AI evangelist over the last uh, decade or so, and uh, constantly written and, and spoken about AI. Uh, the the AI which we're seeing now, uh, which is basically at the base level, is is always used for augmenting human capability. Uh, when we started looking at uh, how can AI help freight and logistics, especially in Australia, we had to kind of answer a few questions, which is quite common. Number one, what are we trying to solve? Mm. Where is the real problem, etc. If you look at it from that angle, uh, freight and logistics is almost a $100 billion industry. Uh, growth rate is almost 4.5%. But even after all of those amazing stats, it's the last pit stop for any technology company to go to and deploy AI. That's number one in Australia. The average freight spend of a decent medium-sized Australian freight company is almost $20 million in a year. Uh, with all of these, the the leakage, which I'll come to and explain in a moment, is almost in the range of three to ten percent. So if you're uh, if you're spending twenty million dollars a year on 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 your freight, and if there's a leakage of three to ten percent, it's a huge thing. So uh, when we started looking at what problems we can solve, the first aspect is is plugging in the leakage through AI, and I'll come to a little bit about technologies to how we do it. But the second most important thing is how can we augment humans who are in the freight and logistics world with these kind of technologies and help them do much more better things and more productive things, mm. which was the real need of the hour, especially during COVID. It was not just hands or not. If people wasted their time on entering data into ERP, they had other critical things to do, and that was really the need of the hour. So basically, what we did is we looked at solving three or four different problems for the creating logistics. Number one, we're all around document intelligence, where we can realistically understand documents, extract the relevant data from documents, validate and calculate various things on those documents, and find out whether it's right or wrong, and tell the human that if something's wrong, why is it wrong? And essentially give the human beings actionable intelligence, which means trying to help and prioritize their work in the day and try and look at fixing the most important things that really matter. Second angle is around image intelligence. There's a lot of images exchanged. The documents is number one, but there's a lot of images exchanged in the freight logistics world. When you can you can have images from, from containers to somebody sending you um, pictures of, of a trailer, uh, you name it. All of these essentially are uh, analyzed by human beings at some point in time to do uh, to basically either pay somebody or to get money from somebody. So we looked at training uh, artificial intelligence models, which can essentially not only do document-based 
I mean, extracting from documents, but also analyzing images and, and process them. And the third one is around web intelligence, which means you have a lot of websites out there, which has a lot of data. You'll have to go and, and basically collect information from various websites and try and compare it and validate it with the documents of the images which you have got and then essentially process data. So we started looking at these three uh, different technologies and started assembling uh, the various AI layers, which at a very high level uh, is around uh, intelligent classification, which, which is contextual classification, which we call it as. And then around um, basically contextual decision making, which means that a shipping freight invoice can be very different to a road freight invoice versus an airway bill versus a credit note. Um, so you need the AI to be contextual enough to understand what's there in the document, where does it belong to, and what does it need to really validate on that document because it can get very tricky. Every single line can be different. Every single line can have various representations. Simple example, um, container is C-O-N-T-A-I-N-E-R, but on the documents it can be C-T-N-R. The package can be represented as PCKG. Uh, and the most uh, uh, important example I always take is uh, what do you understand by a refer? Refer is actually a cold storage. Yeah, so we're not talking about marijuana here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it, now you understand how contextual it has mm. to be. Yeah. It can't go by dictionary meaning. So it has to understand all of these aspects and calculate what's written on the document. So if if a document has a refer, I'm charging you um, $12,000 for the refer for five days of usage. So you should be able to understand what's the rate card which is behind it or what's the agreement of the company behind it. Won't be able to source all those various data points, check it, come back and tell the human being, yeah, this is correct, but if it's not correct, it has to exactly tell the human being why it is not correct. Mm. So the AI is strong enough and, and now curated enough to be able to tell the human being why the problem exists. And then he can he she can use the workflow to kind of make sure that it is automated rather than he or she having to work it. Dan, one of the things that we spoke about uh, earlier was slippage in companies and mm. basically you know it's sometimes you know if something has been and sure you alluded to it just before as well if something has been missed it's potentially a liability that three to ten percent sitting on a balance sheet is potentially a liability sitting on the balance sheet uh, of that company that they don't even know about yep. or haven't necessarily you know and we're, we're talking you know ten percent of a company of 20 million dollars that's that's a huge black hole that could potentially be sitting on their balance sheet, if, especially if they've been undercharged from that aspect. Yeah. So what I'm hearing here is what you guys do with the AI is potentially show that perspective problem or potential problem up front, not when it's an accumulated, could be an accumulated black hole yep. sitting on that balance sheet. So a problem can actually be solved immediately rather than accumulate and accumulate because that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that could just be one little glitch in their existing system that could actually be a huge problem for them in the long run. So I'm assuming what you're saying to me is they're the type of things that can be picked up early yep. by AI and then 
where the human uh, the human element comes into it is only if that's been ignored would that continue to be a problem. Is that correct? That's right. I mean, it, it's spot on. Uh, with, in essence, what the AI is actually doing is providing near, near real-time audit capability. Um, it provides that cost transparency and, and it's about cap- capturing those those um, those overcharges and undercharges. So part part of what we solve for is is we work with the the consumers of, of freight services and also those that provide service. And on on both sides of the fence, they want to know are they being overcharged um, or um, you know for for the providers are they not charging correctly and and is leaving money on the table. But on either side, it amounts to revenue leakage. Um, and it's really important that you know that that is captured um, and 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 done in a really highly efficient way. And that that's what we do. We so we help businesses protect margins if if um, on on really both sides of the fence. Uh, but you're right in talk, talking about those liabilities. So we've we've actually done some proof of concepts with customers, and even just taking a small um, sample of data, we've actually been able to prove that um, there's been undercharge of, of about 8% from their provider, um, which is huge. And they, they weren't accounted for that liability. So it, it identifies some of those errors very early on in, in the piece, um, but it also ensures that consistently that's been validated and checked. Um, any errors that are identified, that allows the human to then go and take that data and have a conversation um, with the provider. And that may result in credit notes, um, um, money being paid back to the business. Um, or giving them the ability to actually renegotiate um, contracts or rates. Yeah. So, so Dan, we've we've spoken a little bit about the the present. Um, I guess what a lot of people are, are thinking of, and I think what concerns a lot of people is the future. Do, yeah. do you do you see with obviously working in AI, you've got a better grasp on it than than us or or our average listener. Uh, but what we've seen is is ChatGPT, for example, uh, you know, shoot onto the scene and and you know people didn't know it existed a year ago and now everyone's using it and it, with the current rate of growth, knowing that AI and ChatGPT, as an example, is always getting smarter with the more use it gets. Uh, do you think that in the short or medium term, in the next few years, we're going to go from um, improving people's daily jobs to uh, to completely overtaking business processes and, and finding uh, better solutions that that really uh, that really change the way a lot of business operate. Or do you think it's it's still in that stage of um, just a just a, you know eliminating some of the more menial tasks? I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a good question, Vaughan. It's actually something that we we often talk about with our with our customers um, and our prospects. You know, what, what's the evolution? Um, if we put this into our business, what does it mean for our people? And and I think honestly, we're not talking about removing the the human workforce from from these businesses. What we're talking about is actually um, augmenting the team to to almost give the team super superpowers, and uh, in, in that they can process things a lot quicker, more effectively. Um, but also we, we we're giving them the ability to actually do things that humans are best at doing, and that is interacting in a, a face-to-face capacity. Um, and and so we're removing all of the the kind of mundane tasks that people get bogged down with, um, and actually giving them information to make um, business decisions, um, data-driven decisions. Um, and and that can be simple as you know processing um, a month's worth of, of documentation, understanding that there's issues there. But then being able to go out and meet with their supplier or go and you know pick the phone up to them and have a, a, a chat and try and come up with a you know a, 
a solution for that problem. We're not we're not removing the the actual human interaction. Correct. Just to add on, uh, uh, most evenings the dinner table conversation now is what did you do in Chat GPT and what did it uh, tell you? But uh, from a technical perspective, it's basically the the beauty of reinforcement learning, right? Mm. I mean, how can it basically produce a nearly optimal answer, which essentially is incentivizing you also at the same time to give it feedback. Feedback mechanics have always existed in the market. We, we knowingly or unknowingly, we give feedback to systems. And how you use the feedback is, is what is important. Mm. But in the sense of chat GPT, what it has been uh, crafted with is a sense of um, a, a series of very well crafted algorithms which can take minimal feedback, but at the same time give you uh, enough incentive to interact with it as as much as possible. But if you flip it, it is also a phenomenon of show your thumb and get your hand eaten. So um, we humans have already created, we have always created phenomenal systems. Back to your industrial revolution point as well. Um, First it's used, then it gets abused. Yeah. Then we figure out a way of how to stop it. Now we've reached a time wherein people have now started regulating ChatGPT to an extent saying the countries are trying to ban it, etc. So it's it's a question of of what regulation will be yeah. introduced at what time. So for us, uh, we believe that um, as long as it's regulated heavily. Um, and it, it it doesn't go beyond ethical aspects and explainability. And the question is again, what is right or wrong in ethics? Because there's no standard body which is regulating the governments are trying to do it. But the point is about as long as it is augmenting the human being, not take, taking away the power aspects of what human being stands for, and it is good. But if it starts. Um, if the ATM machine starts walking in the night and starts <laughs> with a machine gun and looks <laughs> like Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. <laughs> uh, dispensing all my cash from my bank account, then we've got a problem. That's right. Let's so, <laughs> see if it dispenses it to someone else. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But Sri, based on that, there's, you know, if if we have a look at everything and take technology as the next major disruptor in society and yeah even if we're talking about you know ibm's watson where you know when it first came out became you know becoming the jeopardy champion or, yeah. or something like that but it was but it had all this information that was actually in there in the first place and and is actually you know and it's been from all was it uh, one of the chinese board games that it, yeah that it, yeah so we're at absolutely killed the competition because it actually was learning not just strategy but it actually learns of it actually taught itself new strategy from that as well so so when when you actually have a look at that and if we look at technology and the internet you know people could turn around and say oh there's been so many failures of the internet but from the internet we have the just the likes of amazon Mm-hmm. Now we have we have the likes of Google. It's um, some of the largest. Co- yes, there's been lots of failures where people funded fifty million dollars into a company because it had a dot com beside its name, but had mm-hmm. did nothing. Yeah, yeah and, and those companies are no longer around. But if you have a look at Amazon today, and if you have a look at Google today, two of the top ten largest companies in the world based on revenue and profitability. But is now AI the next threat to the likes of Google and Facebook, where Google and Facebook? Uh, provide information or social media in respect to Facebook. Yeah. 
but they make their money from advertising. So they were the disruptors to the traditional advertising industry. Uh, so whereas, and the example I would use where uh, when we had a look at uh, ChatGPT, I'll, I'll give you two examples and you can, you can sort of allude to both of them. I look at it from a, a funds management perspective. Is ChatGPT, especially with Microsoft's $10 billion backing, is it a threat to the likes of Google? Now, we own Google as part or Alphabet as part of our portfolio. So is it a threat? I don't think in the short term, uh, but based based on that, it's a case of that if I'm sitting here and I decided I want ramen for dinner tonight and I can go to Google and do a Google search on ramen and basically the paid ads are the ones that are coming up. Yeah. I can go into ChatGPT and say, I want the best ramen places within a one kilometre radius of the Jamieson Hotel where I'm staying. And it can come up with based on, you know, Google, based on these searches, these are the ones I've got that for free without being bombarded. And that's based on people's feedback to chat GPT. So it has given me its scenario where it seems to be a little bit non, well, less biased than say what Google might be, because Google is the adverse is it's going to get the first the first run, whether that restaurant has good Google reviews or not or uh, et cetera. So. That's one aspect of ChatGPT. Is it the disruptor to the new advertising industry, which was the disruptor to the old mainstream, number one? But the second example I'll give, and I'll get you both to, to talk about this uh, sort of before we close, but uh, one of our colleagues who is a mathematical genius in, in our office, um, it's good that we've got one of them. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> but, you know, as an example, he uh, is a whiz on Excel. And we said, okay, I want this, you know, so not not that we're building our own quant, you know, like Blackstone or something like that, but I want this. And he basically would would go and sit down and do the Exos and work out the code for it and actually build that out. Yeah. Whereas he now went to ChatGPT and said, this is the outcome I want for an Excel spreadsheet. And it basically came up the code within 30 seconds for him. Yeah. That saved him 30 minutes to an hour of actually building it and building out the code himself. He had the code where he could put it in and it was perfect for what we actually wanted. That hasn't taken away his job because he still had to put all that in. But I use that as an example where it's actually the human using technology to save 59 minutes worth of work for him to get the, the exact same outcome, which is which is making things more efficient for our business so we can service you as our clients better. Yeah. Yeah. So two scenarios, the threat, of ChatGPT to, to say businesses like Google, Facebook, Instagram, uh, or even TikTok, um, and also the because it doesn't have a, a a at the moment anyway. If you listen to what happened with Twitter, it doesn't have the FBI uh, <laughs> telling it what it should be doing and saying. Uh, but then also the ability, as you said, which I just use it that quick example with Shay with an Excel spreadsheet. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I'll take a first time at yeah. it. Um, I'll probably put three very critical elements to answer both your questions. Actually, the first element is uh, what I called as uh, handling intrinsic bias. Mm -hmm. Data which has been fed for reinforcement learning in some shape or form has some kind of intrinsic bias. It's not, uh, it's unknown that data has intrinsic bias because if you, if you upload some kind of basic data, it will have age, uh, gender, that will have anything which is common data elements, but that being in a data set could be intrinsic bias to the to the actual learning itself. 
and I'll come back and tie this package to why this is uh, critical. The second aspect is data, which is which has modeling on it, and basically giving you answers with a commercial aspect to it, and without a commercial aspect. You're not paying ChatGPT. Um, let me let me ask you a simple question: Has Google Maps ever asked you to drive off a cliff? No, never. So I do sometimes walk around the city in circles, Ross. I'm trying to follow it, <laughs> but it's never got me to drive off a cliff, no. Tomorrow, ChatGPT or any other industry or any other tool like this uh, introduces maps in it. Could you really start using it with all your 100% trust and 100% belief day one? No, it will take a while. It'd probably take a while. Take a while. Yeah. So, there are three elements in this whole aspect of reinforced learning. First, how can we curb intrinsic bias not affecting what the output is? For example, in Texas, there was the pilot used for AI was actually making um, decisions. It, it was the judge. So if you feed intrinsic you mean legal legal decisions? Yeah, yeah okay. It, yeah. It, it became a judge. Yeah. For a while, they, they, they tried it. If just imagine if you had, if you fed it with intrinsic bias data about people, about race, about anything for that matter, how disastrous it would be. Mm. one. So it's about how can we control intrinsic bias and make sure that it is clean, which is in itself a very difficult time yeah. when it comes to data. Mm. Second one is essentially monetization will kill a lot of the real intent. So how can we control monetization to be able to ensure that it is not restaurant A versus restaurant B? Well, all the All In podcast, uh, the four gents on All In, which is a great podcast. One of the things that they suggested is with Microsoft that it becomes a subscription based rather than advertising revenue. The revenue comes from subscriptions yeah. uh, rather than reliance on advertising. And that is one of the way of potentially uh, removing bias. Exactly. Yeah, there are multiple- $10, $10 a month for to not have biased answers. Although ChatGPT at first didn't like Donald Trump, I'm not saying that was good or bad, but it was. Uh, but it, it actually showed that there was a bias because of the information he'd received up to 2021 regarding Donald Trump. So there was the well, there was a, there was a bias against him. So yeah. whether, as it said, so so whether that was accurate or not, it's, it depends on sometimes who the reader is yeah. um, as well in the in their own mind. But I think if it's a subscription based model. Uh, rather than a free-to-use, free but advertising-based uh, model, that could be a help. Yeah. Mm. So, in, in simple summary, it's it's an angle of all these three aspects. Whether how soon it AI will will take away a lot of um, you know I would call it um, repeated repeatable jobs, etc. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, it is a matter of time that people will also have to upskill themselves. That's an opportunity. But when will it really do? And and, and when will reinforcement learning and stuff like that really uh, climb the peak is when uh, people know how to control these aspects of the bias. So that will all go back to how uh, you can regulate it. 
So I call it um, pure versus benefits, um, you know, uh, innovation versus. If I really see the benefits, I get over fear like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, the other interesting angle of all of these things is, is uh, region specific or country specific regulations mm. uh, that also will create uh, a lot. At the end of the day, I'm still trying to find this answer. Reinforcement learning thrives on a lot of data. It thrives on everybody's data. If you start, uh, if you basically look at the privacy aspect and, and start using it for specific businesses and trying to monetize your businesses using these tools, and if you are not allowed to use a long, large data set which has been trained and curated over the last few years, then it might be the, the accuracy of it might come down, the benefits of it might come down if it starts using a smaller data set. Yeah. But that's another, I would say, uh, a risk, potential risk. But again, uh, the next one year, uh, my prediction is uh, to stay at least completely. Well, 4.0 is looking, it makes 3.0 look like nothing, apparently. So it's uh, not a user of it yet, but from what I've heard, it's it's quite exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So from Provenio's perspective in respect to looking after clients and what you actually do there is, mm. the basis of it is, is that you help clients understand their business even more, whether it's a small client with a five or six million dollar turnover up yep. to a, the likes of a Lin Fox or Toll Holdings, you're helping your clients actually understand their business more, not let human error, because as you said, it's it's the data that goes in is what comes out. But if the data that goes in is incorrect in the first place, mistakes are actually always being done. But this actually helps clients uh, from a cash flow perspective manage their business far better. So it's far more transparent for them yep. to be able to stop mistakes either before they happen or not necessarily far down the track is that correct that's that's spot on uh i think the, the other component and something that i'm glad i know your business <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um, the the other component tony is actually starting to break out the cost so within front logistics there's all different components within that cost um so actually understanding what is the true cost to serve and that's mm. the, it's a conversation we're having more and more with customers about creating cost transparency um, and obviously identifying those errors is part of that transparency, but also understanding, okay, well, you know, what, what's driving certain aspects of the cost? Does that mean if, if we um, change where we have um, certain products um, in our um, distribution centers, does that make the, the efficiency um, better? And so we optimize the routes and therefore our costs come down. So having all of all of this kind of visibility can actually help make, uh, businesses make better decisions. Um, which all ultimately um, impact the bottom line. Yeah. So yeah. it's um. Yeah. Vaughan, do you have any more questions before we wrap up? No, no. I think that was uh, very well summarised, and I think very, uh, yeah, very interesting, um, especially with you know what we're what we're seeing and starting to use ourselves. Uh, there's certainly a lot more to come. Um, so yeah, th thanks so much, Dan and Shree, for coming on. Um, it's been a real pleasure and uh, yeah, if any of our listeners have any further questions for Dan or Shree um, or, or inquiries for Prevenio, then I'm sure they'd be uh, happy to answer.
Yeah, we'll put all their contact details down uh, attached to this podcast. So, gentlemen, I want to sincerely thank you. Uh, every time I speak to you, I learn more. <laughs> I get excited more, which scares my team because I just keep yelling out tech support again. <laughs> so, but it's, it, it is, it is, and from my perspective, I think it's extremely exciting. Um, I don't think there'll be a lot of Arnold Schwarzeneggers walking around the street killing us all off like Skynet. But at the same time, it's, I can see why it's scary for some people, but it's i think it's exciting for a lot of businesses you know i'm still waiting in closing i do remember uh, bill gates making a comment that computers what they will do is it'll mean we'll have four hour working days and we can work from the beach <laughs> still never done that my working hours have gone through the roof but my <laughs> business has grown substantially as a result of technology and i yeah. think i think this is the next step for us as well absolutely and and that's part of the reason why why we exist is so we can actually get to that point where we can all work from the beach for four hours a day <laughs> Exactly right. Um, yeah, but yeah. no, um, no. I, I think it's 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 exciting. Um, I think those businesses that are kind of embrace um, the, this opportunity early um, will, will benefit the most. And as I said, uh, same same for their employees as well. Um, yeah. So exciting times ahead. Dan, Shri, thank you very much for today. Thank you. Thanks, Vaughan. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, guys. Okay. Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.